0: Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at BrickLane Brewing. We are grateful for BrickLane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 Triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also, the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe. And then you'll never miss a video. In Cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. Thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of The Final Word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and The Final Word. I had to go about it, write it
1: out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you This is the final word, Ashes Daily, from day four of the Women's Ashes Test at Monaco Oval in Canberra. Jeff Lemon and Izzy Westbury with you. We didn't do a show on day three because there was only one session and we thought we'll roll that into the show on day four, which will largely be a a boring analysis of a test match that petered out into a draw, yet another draw, and uh, that's sort of how it turned out. Uh, Izzy, I would like to give you the honour of trying to sum up today in the space of that. 30 seconds.
2: The Poison Chalice. Well, Australia started 52 runs ahead. least Perry and Beth Money were going well, but not particularly rampant. 91-run partnership. And then Perry fell and it got to lunch. Meg Lanning, she was on 12, not out. And we thought, come on, Declare. At that point, they were already, what, 150 runs ahead. Meg Lanning, the reticent, the risk-averse skipper of Australia. She fell too, and still 170 runs ahead. They didn't declare. Ash Gardner came in. Runnable 38. Talia McGrath, 34 from 67. Come on, for goodness sake, Two-three-nine ahead. Why have you not declared? <laughs>
1: I'm just going to let you know that you've gone past 30 seconds and we haven't got to the second innings.
2: Okay, they declared. <laughs> they declared. Spoiler alert, they declared. What were they? 270 F- ahead? 57. 256 yeah. ahead. Yeah. That was it.
1: 257 to win.
2: They didn't have a chance at Hal England and then it came down to literally, was it one wicket, 13 balls? Unbelievable batting. 12 runs the difference. More than five runs per over. They almost did it. Nobody thought they would. Everybody had written them off, and it was the best test match in Australia this summer, bar none. Oh,
1: b- by an absolute distance. Was that close to um, 30 seconds? You were about <laughs> you were, you were three times 30 seconds thereabouts, but I think that was forgivable today. Today of all days, because we did see one of the great finishes. We almost saw England chase the record fourth-inning score in a women's test, almost obliterated. I think the previous test was 198, they needed 257, and then they had to shut up shop with two overs to go, because they were nine down, because they were going after it so hard. I don't think any of us expected that.
2: And, that's, and that's, that's great because why, we shouldn't expect anything. Mm-hmm. I think this is this is the beautiful thing about women's test cricket is that they've only been now, I think this is this the 143rd women's test match in the whole of history. Right. And in the last decade, there's only been really one or two per year. Yep. So the sample size on which we're basing everything is minute. So the only way in which we compare is to what we know and what we love, men's test cricket or women's white ball stuff. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really to base any of our assumptions upon. So every time... How can we confidently say Meg Lanning should have declared or there's no way anyone can chase down anything beyond five runs per over? How can we be confident in saying that? And I think today has proven just that we can't. They are rewriting the script. They are creating history at every turn. And the best thing about it was that the three sort of the protagonists in that last hour of play were between the three of them, Alana King, Annabelle Sutherland and uh, Sophia Dunkley had played two test matches between them before this match. They have nothing to go on and that is the beauty of it, that we are the ones that are stuck basing everything on assumptions. They have a clean slate Mm. and they are demonstrating that and it was utterly brilliant to watch.
1: It, It was a thrill by the end of it. I will admit to having spent the first half of the day being pretty grumpy, and I think this was, you know, I was burned in 2019 by Meg Lanning at Taunton when they'd already lost a day and a half at the start of the match to rain, and Australia just batted forever on the last day, didn't even bother popping England back in, and they didn't even, they kept batting, but didn't even bat for long enough for Elise Perry to get a second hundred, they declared when she was 76, I think. But that's it, that
2: was one match, and this is what we're basing so much of this upon, it's just such a tiny, tiny sample size. But I
1: thought that's what they were going to do again, because they they were just sort of just meandering, they were batting in a way that suggested we're just going to bat time and maybe we'll put them in at the end for a token bowl. And the overs were ticking away and I was thinking, you know, put them in with with 220 up, with, with 70 to go, something like that. You can go defensive if you need to, but give yourself time to win in the end. Well, that wasn't necessarily right.
2: Yeah, and I think it was interesting because Tammy Beaumont was interviewed on the sidelines after she'd got out. She struck 36 from 42, another good innings mean, to get things kicked off. And when she came in at the start, they needed what? Just over five per over. They needed to see off the new ball. Yeah. And so it went up to six per over, which is kind of expected. But at no point did they sort of lose the faith. They were annoyed Australia for having taken so long to declare. But Beaumont was like, well, yeah, we would have done exactly the same because we don't know what is safe. Mm. And that's it. And I think Lanning or Matthew Mott, the head coach, nor anybody on that Australian team would have been secure really on, on well, on. Any, they weren't secure at any point, yeah. which again was the beauty of the Test match. And the best thing for from an England perspective was that at no point did they think that they couldn't chase it. Well, maybe after, you know, maybe we know a six balls left and just one wicket in hand to, to, to save the match. That was <laughs> the only point where, that was literally the only point where England shut up shop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Two, two overs to go when when the, the ninth wicket fell with 13 balls to go. And at that point, yes, they needed 12 runs, but it would have, been too much of a risk to, to take it on and so they elected not to. So I I think in terms of setting the match up where where my criticism would go would be the way they batted in the third innings not how long they batted but how quickly they scored where you know Mooney made 63 off 137 Perry 41 off 83 Talia McGrath 34 off 67 these are all players who can score more quickly by the time that McGrath and Gardner came together it seemed like they were safe enough that if they put the foot down you know every extra run they scored would have made it harder for England but they were, and that and was
2: demonstrated. Could,
1: but only because had they had they scored more, had they scored more quickly, they would have been able to declare earlier. And they didn't necessarily need a higher target. I think if you'd given England two sixty in seventy overs, they would have approached it differently to the way they approached it in forty eight as well. So, you know, we don't know what the the counterfactual would have been.
2: Right, but I think the whole the whole discussion around declaration is. Is the ca- is the carrot still being dangled? Mm-hmm. And the answer now, at the end of the day, is we have to emphatically say yes. It much was. carrot. There was much carrot. It was dangled, <laughs> and at all points, England thought that they had a chance, yep. and that that's a crucial part to a Test match chase. And that's why, again, in every women's Test match going forward, and at the moment, incidentally, we should probably point out that there's not a single women's Test scheduled on any fixture list anywhere in the world, which is a travesty in itself. Yep. So when if and when this next women's test match happens, again, that, that, that slate is a new blank one. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. And
1: the, the thing we've been banging on about forever that we will continue banging on about is if you had a fifth day, for instance, where the weather is supposed to be fine in Canberra tomorrow, you wouldn't be relying on a captain's good grace to set up a declaration that allowed the other team to have a go at it. Uh, you wouldn't need to, to have that sort of generosity of spirit where, you know, Australia could have batted it out, they could have declared earlier, they could have gone. I think they went somewhere in between the two. So Meg Lanning, when we spoke to her after play, basically said Well, when I gave them 48 overs, I didn't really think they would go for it and I didn't really think they would get close to it. you know. But also that I didn't really think we would have time to take 10 wickets. So yeah. She sort of conceded herself that it was, it was more for show than for anything. It was set them enough that we know we're safe and maybe we're some chance to take 10 wickets and we might give it a go, but it probably won't happen. So it wasn't like she was trying to set the game up with a real Tilted sure. winning whereas uh, and, if fair she, and if she'd had a fifth day then you know maybe I mean Australia were seven down at the time they declared maybe they end up being bowled out with a lead of 290 or whatever it is and and it's a good fifth day chase so but what we had they had to operate within the constraints that they had which was two sessions rained off on day 3 four day test match set it up and do something and I love that enough of the, a possibility was given to England by Australia and I love that England took it
2: oh, absolutely and um we should go through, I mean, Nat Siver. I think her wicket was probably a key one by Annabelle Sutherland. There was a, there was a period of the match of about five overs where the pendulum really swung where you thought England are going to chase this down and then you thought, oh my God, actually Australia might get the 10 wickets now. And it kind of started with LBW of Heather Knight. Yes. Who incidentally has scored... 216 runs across the two innings. Yep. The most that any England woman has ever done in a test. She was LBW on 48, almost to run a ball I think. Yep, just uh, under. Yeah, 48 from 54. And it was reviewed I and mean, it was judged LBW umpire's call literally just clipping. And you thought, oh my god, all the luck is in Australia's, this is probably the end of it. Especially as the next ball... That was a heavy umpire's call. That was a knock and leg right. stump out of the ground umpire's The next call. ball, yes. Sophia Dunkley, comes in also at LBW wrapped right from the pads. She reviews it, and you're like, "Oh no!" If if Heather Knight was on pads, Heather Knight was out. Sophia Dunkley is definitely out. Somehow, the way in which the magic of DRS works, back leg. it was going.
1: Over the top. It, was, it hit her above the back pad and, and her bat was almost in the way. I, f- I felt like the umpire gave it on instinct more than actually, maybe didn't see the contact. Maybe. But it was going over the bales by about a millimetre, I think. It seemed to be in the divot between the two spigots, like in the in the lower bit of and the And just
2: line. the way in which everything was going, you, it just almost seemed implausible yeah. that it could be anything other than out. Yes, she survives. Sophia donkey survives. But, but it was
1: all about stages, that innings. It was, it was 52 for the opening partnership with Winfield Hill and Beaumont. And Lauren Winfield Hill was struggling and Beaumont was more fluent. And she gets out. Then Lauren Winfield Hill ups the ante, starts coming down the pitch, starts uh, hitting down the ground while Heather Knight's getting in. Then Winfield Hill gets out. And they're keeping
2: out. it six runs yes. per over at the required rate at this stage. They're almost keeping every, over every single over, making sure. You, you can almost see them looking at the scoreboard every yep. year going, yeah, we've got that one done tick yeah. next over
1: so so 92 for two when Winfield Hill gets out and then Knight and Siver have the most important partnership of the innings they get together they add 60 plus and they're doing it at a good rate and Siva's climbing into every pull shot she can she's belting the short ball every time they drop short at her Knights driving through cover and those two get it down to 91 to win they need 91 off 90 balls when Heather Knight gets out and at that point you're thinking well if if Darcy Brown doesn't come back on, an 18 year old on debut with pace, who angles it in, beats the shot with pace and smacks her on the pad, you know, if Heather Knight doesn't get out there, they're probably strolling to it. But then she's gone, Dunkley gets the reprieve, and after a couple of overs to settle in, there there was one shot Sophia Dunkley played where she sort of backed away to Brown and and tried to slog it down the ground and missed. And then she did it again the next fall and smacked it over the bowler's head for four. And suddenly she was on. Suddenly she started hitting sixes. Two
2: consecutive sixes of Annabelle Sutherland, who again, so she comes in now as quite a a key component, a key player in this tussle, because you're kind of thinking, oh my goodness, 20-year-old playing a second test match, take her off. I mean, how can you carry on bowling? Mm Mm-hmm. Meg Lanning goes, nope, I'm going to stick you on. You've just been hit for 16. England now need less than five and over, but you're going to stay there and you're going to start bowling. it short and at times wide, really frustrate England's batters as well. Two balls go down leg side and you kind of think, oh, foul play because it'd be a a wide in white ball cricket. But And she got
1: warned for it. She got the negative bowling warning, but she'd got away with those two. And it does
2: the trick because it it frustrates England. They get just one off that over. Well, then
1: she bowled a couple of bounces over the head, used that bit, used that bit of leeway. And and, yeah, one off. The over and then Alana King's next over goes for one as well. To Alana
2: King being brought into the attack for the first time at that stage, or just a couple three of overs, overs earlier. Quite late, at the start of the innings quite here. late, and again playing in her first Test match. And then the sort of the, the key moment then is so a Nat Sivach cloth one, a sort of a back of a length one from Sutherland, bangs it in hard, and you think this is the kind of thing that is going to pull pretty hard to the boundary, goes into Meg Lanning's hands, mm. one of those that sticks or doesn't, pretty hard Smoked still. It.
1: Smoked it. It was it was a real crack pull shot and Lanning was, um, you know, at a regulation mid-wicket but would have been on heels on the paint in, if the one-day circle were there and managed to hang on to it. And, and even then I thought, well, Dunkley's up and going. Yeah. They're close enough now. They need about 40 or 40, it's 44 or 40 balls or whatever it was. Or the, and, and, well, actually with the, the equation with the sixes, they had, they had fewer runs to score than there were balls remaining. So they were under six and over. And I still thought, Jones works a few singles, Dunkley will score them, they'll get there.
2: And they persevered. But what I really liked from Lanning was they per- she persevered with Alana King and Annabelle Sutherland. So it was effectively playing in their second and first test match. And King, of course, being a leg spinner. So she could take wickets, but she could also get smashed around the park. Mm-hmm. And King gets Dunkley. Pretty much, you think... Game over, right? But
1: even at that point, they need twenty-four. Oh. They needed twenty-four off for of, about twenty-eight balls when Dunkley got out, and you go, okay, the tails in, but they're all sloggers. They can all slog, brunt shrubs, or so on. They all play heaps of T20 cricket. If you if you put England's bottom five in in a T20 game and said. 24 of 28 balls, they should be able to do that. It won't be pretty. There'll be some inside edges. There'll be some skews over the infield or whatever. But you think for the for the price of four wickets, yeah, surely they can get 24 runs. So
2: at this point, I was giving it to Australia and thinking, yeah. right, they've got the upper hand here. You've got the sort of the key batters out. It's always dangerous, I think, comparing red ball cricket to white ball when you've got a chase on because the fields are spread. It's quite a big ground here at Monica Oval. The ball at this stage, I don't know how many over it was old but it, you know, it wasn't being struck particularly hard yeah. um, it would have been about 40 42 four four overs. Yeah, yeah, yeah 45 overs. And, 43 of us and then also wickets fall in, in sort of regular succession mm-hmm. but still the runs are coming the runs and are coming and it sort of gets down to that equation and I, I mean I had it I had it for Australia at that point and it was only when I think Kate Cross came in right at the end final wicket yeah. and, and and fair enough England do then just try and bat it out and you yeah. just the the cameras pan to the dugout and it, it's so cruel in so many ways because Heather Knight played so well with the bat I think she skippered reasonably proactively you could pick mm. apart some of the fielding positions and say too often that cover point was sort of left and a few easy singles out on the boundary but you know over the course of four days that happens in test match cricket you're not going to get everything right but absolutely devastated because as we know with the draw in this test match however thrilling it might be means that England if they're going to get back the ashes need to win all three ODIs so in the, in the big scheme of things it's utter devastation yeah yeah. but for us here it's elation because that was fun
1: but I think it would have been fun whichever way it went you know had had Kate Cross got out of the last ball of the match it would have been fun had England kept slogging nine down and got the last 12 runs it would have been fun but
2: we're not invested in the outcome in that respect we're invested in the spectacle yes and that's why there's all this all all of the sort of the noise about Mm. Ladding not declaring got quite the crescendo it did because it was almost as if it wasn't I don't know it didn't give us a chance of of, of the spectacle of trying for a result of seeing something
1: interesting and I think it is okay as a spectator of a sporting event to want to see something interesting when it's within the player's control
2: right but I also think it's perfectly okay for the player to say up yours I'm here to play professional cricket and a professional sport and perform it to the best of our ability so that we have the best chance of of winning a series at the end Mm. of the day which is what the Ashes is and to be honest Lanning and Co And Australia could have come out right at the beginning of his test match and gone, actually, we're not playing for the win. We don't need to because we know that we're going to almost certainly going to win at least one of the ODIs coming up.
1: They could have done that. uh, And players always say the thing we play for is to win matches and win series and so on. And sure, sure. I still think if you're looking back in 30 years' time, do you remember more fondly, remember the time we won a really boring series or a really boring match? Or do you remember the time we played in one of the great matches that people remember and people still talk about. And I think losing one of the great matches hurts much more at the time, but later it's... Not everyone would agree, but there would be people who would understand that it's better to be involved in something great than something that went the way you wanted it to at Sure, and
2: hindsight's a wonderful thing, and we all want to have been involved in the seminal moments, but equally, when you're you're being paid to play a sport, you're being paid to get a result, Mm -hmm. not to produce that spectacle.
1: So, look... (laughs) Uh, technical, tactical stuff. Uh, Catherine Brunt at seven didn't make any runs. What a surprise. Edged one behind to uh, oh, the keeper off a hook agree on that as well. Now, this, this is where I thought England really screwed it up at the end. They sent Anya Shrubsole out at eight where she was listed. And I think on the idea that she could slog and might be able to get them some boundaries. But she's the worst runner in the team between the wickets. Yes. And that meant that when she was out there running with the likes of Charlie Dean, who's quick, one's were run where twos should have been run. They, sure, they lost but runs may, They were cost You weigh runs it up, don't
2: you? You think do we want to have a quick runner or do we want to have someone who might now and again smash a six or slog it to the boundary and and um I, I would I, argue
1: anyone in England's bottom five can do that. They're all capable with the bat. And I thought they really blew it by sending Shrubsall out. That, that And has been a
2: white ball pinch hitter yeah. in domestic cricket, certainly. Maybe he hasn't proven it quite in England colours, but I, I don't know. you know, it's much of a much as in a way you could have you could have put anybody up there, and they may have got our next ball kind of thing. Mm. But uh, fine, it, she's going to bat at some point. Yeah, and and if
1: you wanted to keep her at eleven, she can do the blocking thing if she needed to 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 keep it out at the end. I just thought any of any of Eccleston or Cross or Dean are. Better between the wickets and more likely to be able to get you that sort of scramble that you need, where their running ability might be more important than their their hitting ability um, to be out there. So it felt it oh, it was tough because look, England shouldn't have been anywhere near winning this test match. Then suddenly they were. Then suddenly they it was like, like they'd thrown it away. I can't decide who should be relieved and who should be annoyed at, at the end of all this. I mean, both teams have drawn, but I mean Australia nearly won it because it was nine down. England nearly won it because they needed. 12 more runs Uh, I don't know who's mad (laughs) who's glad who's relieved
2: well I think ultimately in a few days time I think Australia will Realise that they've they've got the best chance of, of retaining the ashes now, and they'll also probably be quite pleased that there there was a game of it, even though if even if it happened by accident in a way, right? And England will will think, yeah, they'll they'll definitely go over the what if moments because there was definitely a peer, a point there where it was within their control, or oh, not within their That's the wrong phrase, but it was it, it was felt within their obtainable. control.
1: It was certainly within their control. They were two hundred and eighteen for three, yeah, chasing two fifty seven. And they managed to lose six wickets.
2: I think there'll be more what ifs going through the heads of the England players, mm. but I almost want to sort of go there and and tell them like, don't in the scheme of things. Don't worry about it because we were there, we saw this match, and I think it's now the onus is on us not to make this into another statistic, not to make this the fourth draw for England in four tests over five years and, oh my goodness, women's test cricket is boring and they can't be aggressive and they're too naive with their tactics. At least they went
1: for it. At five down or whatever, they could have shut up shop then and they didn't.
2: This test, the India-Australia test, the England- India Test as well, has shown what these players are capable of in a format in which they are essentially unschooled. Mm. And so we have to kind of remember the content of those matches rather than that sort of one word Draw. Yes,
1: uh, the Hall of Fame
2: is he. Oh, I don't uh, know. What? What?
1: What? <laughs> Everything was a Hall of Fame moment today. But did anything? I, okay, my, I've got one. I'll throw in to start us off. I think my Hall of Fame moment for the day is the catch that Beth Mooney took at long on, wide long on off. Sophia Dunkley off the bowling of Alana King. Now, Dunkley would be a Hall of Fame on her own. 45 off 32 balls in a test match chase. You talked about the clean slate the women players have that they can do whatever they want and that's it right there. That was Dunkley saying, well, this is how I'm going to play this chase and very nearly winning it. And then going big over the leg side, Mooney running in, we all know the story, broken jaw, three plates in a jaw, all the rest of it. Full dive forward, both hands to it, no concern for her physical safety, like the courage of that, the amount that must still hurt every time she takes a step, she must you know, I've broken a lot of bones, I know that feeling of of vibration going through the body, um, through the broken part Uh, she must be in low grade pain all the time and to dive forward and know you've got to hit the ground, take the impact cushion it, hold the ball and she managed to sort of protect her face while rolling over, that was one of the more extraordinary things I've ever ever seen on a cricket field.
2: I Totally agree, and I think one of I think my hall of fame will be the lasting image that I got from that Test match, and that was ten women around the bat on the final ball. In a way, you could argue they should have been there from the first ball of that over. But to have Alana King on a debut Test match as a leg spinner, being trusted by her captain to try and get that final wicket, putting everyone around around that bat as they sort of just about escaped from an England onslaught with the bat as they were rampaging forward, was just a a wonderful image to kind of end that day and summarise a very unexpected but tremendously fun four days.
1: It has been a tremendously fun four days with you as well, Isabel Westbury. Thanks for joining us on The Final Word. Uh, I'm Jeff Lemmon. I'll be back with Adam Collins for other Final Word shows uh, during the week. We'll do some story time. We'll do the weekly show. We'll do all the stuff we do on The Final Word. Tune in next time. We'll see you then. So you know what I, yeah. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself and some stories
2: I can tell you. Yeah. I had to
0: Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at FinalWordCricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. FinalWordCricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks, once again, to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at BrickLaneBrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.